Good morning, church. Uh, this morning, with the new year, we continue in our series, uh, Glory and Grace, a series about the church, for the church, and we, we pick it up with the first of a two-part uh, series on church membership. Uh, this morning, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn there. If you don't, there are Bibles in the seats just in front of you on the bottom. And the passage for this morning can be found on page 959 in that Bible. Again, it's 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this morning. It is a special thing to gather with your people on Sunday mornings. There is something present here that we don't see when we're scattered, and we praise you for it. Lord, thank you that we can gather around your word to sing it, to hear it, to be revived and refreshed in it, and that we can serve you and one another because of what Christ has done on our behalf on the cross. Father, we know that as we gather, there are some who are grieving, who have, have experienced loss recently, and we pray for them this morning that they would know your peace this morning not a, a superficial peace that says everything is just okay, but the kind of peace that says you have Christ and he is enough and he will carry you through it. And Lord, we thank you that when we lose people who are in Christ, we know that they have actually gained more of Christ in their passing because they are with Jesus now and will be for eternity and we'll see them again. But please be with those who are here and are hurting. Help the body to come around them and love them well in this time. Lord, I pray for those who have have run from you, who have professed Christ and now are pursuing sin and chasing that rather than Jesus. Lord, we pray that there be opportunities for them to hear the gospel again. You'd wake their cold hearts and cause them to repent and turn back to Christ, that they would walk with you and alongside of your people. 
And again, Father, we thank you for your word. As we open it, Lord, I pray that you would work powerfully in our hearts so that we would see our role in the church as precious and important, and we'd, we'd look at it as a way to treasure our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. As I said, we're going to be talking about church membership for two weeks. And I want to begin talking about it by reading an article from the satirical newspaper, The Babylon Bee. And if you're familiar with The Babylon Bee, you know it's, it's not real news. These are not real articles at all. They're meant to kind of be humorous at the same time while pointing out folly. And so what this article, I think, does nicely, it points out folly in the way that Christians can sometimes view their commitment to the local church. Uh, so the, the title of the article is Frustrated Churchgoer to Stop Tipping Unless Service Improves. May 18th, 2016, Dayton, Ohio. Explaining his disappointment with the overall experience lately, local man Brett Thomas confirmed to reporters Thursday his plans to stop tipping unless the service at Calvary Baptist Church of Dayton improves significantly. He says, I remember a few years ago the service was way better, Thomas noted. I could tell the greeters were excited to see me walk in the door. Sometimes there were little donuts or danishes just sitting right out for the taking. They went out of their way to make me feel special, and I tipped accordingly. But much to his dismay, Thomas has noticed some changes recently. I don't know if it's the new owners or what, but the experience just doesn't have the same energy, the same vibe it used to. The worship team seems to fall flat, on, flat more often. The pastor's been teaching from the Old Testament. The ushers don't seem as sincere. The programs aren't as nice as they used to be. The pencils aren't as consistently sharp. It's the little things, you know, that make all the difference. Brett Thomas believes if a church wants to be compensated, they need to earn it. Do they really expect a good tip with services like that? I might throw a five or maybe even a 10 in the plate, but don't even talk to me about percentages until we start getting some decent service around here. Thomas lamented, shaking his head. And the pastor has the gall to do a sermon on tithing last month? You want to talk about net and gross? I'll tell you what's really gross, the coffee you serve at this church. A visibly frustrated Thomas added, I hope it doesn't come to this, but I'll tell you, on more than one occasion, the wife and I have discussed taking our business elsewhere. End of article. There are many uh, misconceptions about what it means to be part of a local church. And this article nicely paints one of those pictures, maybe not so nicely paints one of those pictures, that there's a misconception of viewing the church that we are a consumer and we're simply part of a, a, a club like we would be a Costco where we pay our dues and we're entitled to certain services like ministries, maybe some pastoral counseling and Sunday worship services. Other misconceptions include things like thinking that membership is just for a special group of elite Christians that have maybe extra time where they can serve in the church, or they might have the spiritual gift of voting on budgets at membership meetings. That's not the case either. Yet another misconception, and it may go along with these others, is that the idea that church membership just simply is not biblical, but they might even say, I think it was just invented by pastors who have too much time on their hands because they only work on Sundays, I think but we all know that's not true, right? But our hope in this two-part series is that we would clear up some of these misconceptions and really just open up the scriptures and show you what they have to say on the matter of church membership and to show you that this is a biblical idea and it is good. So this morning, we're going to look at the biblical foundation for church membership, where we see it in scripture. Next week, Pastor Luke will be preaching on the implications of church membership. 
And before we dive into talking about membership, I want to briefly talk about the church. The New Testament term for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia's usage in scripture strongly infers the idea of membership. This uh, word implies two really important things. And the first is that the church is a people who are called out. The term ecclesia, literally the two parts mean called and out of. Okay, called out. Hence, the church is a people who are called out. Okay, and the second part, the second thing that's important to know about the word is it means a people who are gathered together. Mark Dever writes about this term and, and how it means gathered together, saying, Ecclesia was used in the New Testament period to describe more than the gatherings of Christians. The word was often used in Greek cities to refer to assemblies called to perform specific tasks. Luke uses ecclesia three times to describe the riot that gathers in an amphitheater in Ephesus to deal with Paul in Acts 19. The remaining 109 uses of the word in the New Testament refers to a Christian assembly. Okay? So the reason I'm talking about this word and why it's significant is because the meaning of the word church means people who are called out of the world and living for it and out of sin by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're gathered together to reflect the glory of God. And they do that by being carrying out his work together, which is summed up as we do as a church by proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and treasuring Christ above all. Now, it's important to note that the scriptures make a helpful distinction when talking about the church, and we call these two things uh, the local church and the universal church. And to help you understand that a little bit, the universal church is the church that includes all believers across geographic locations, across all times in church history, okay? It's every Christian that will be in heaven with God in glory forever. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. Um, we, we see the universal church referred to in passages like Ephesians 1.22, where Paul writes, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, it's not just this local church that Christ has had over all things for. It's every church, the universal church that, that spans the globe. Uh, we see another uh, common passage we hear often. It's a great passage. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, Christ didn't just give himself for this local gathering. He gave himself for every church that meets worldwide, the universal church church. And so both of these passages kind of talk about this concept of the universal church. And while the universal church is a wonderful thing, it really is beautiful, I think about um, how God is establishing churches in Senegal, Africa, through the work of the creatures, and I praise God for the universal church. And we Skype with Pastor Erlene, who's pastor of a church plant that we support in Tirana, Albania. We Skype with him every week. And I praise God for the universal church and just think the gospel is so powerful that he's raising up churches all over the world. And to see that, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but the universal church has its limitations. Okay? I love reading things, people like Calvin and Spurgeon, but it's limited because even though they're part of the universal church, they're not there to watch my life and to speak into it, and I can't watch their life and imitate it because they're gone. They died. Right? And so we can't live that kind of relationship with people throughout church history that are gone. We can't live the kind of relationship the Bible calls us to live with one another, with those who are gone. And similarly, we can't do that with people, Christians around the world either, because 
even though I Skype with Pastor Erlene and we speak into each other's lives and it's good, he doesn't know how I'm loving my wife. He doesn't see me interact with my kids. He doesn't see me shepherding my church. And you can only do that with people in a local church, which shows the need for local churches. And this is the beauty of the local church. It's where the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are made visible on this earth. The local church is where we can see God's work in a tangible way. It's right before us. We can see it right now as we look around this gathering. We see Christ's church, and it's beautiful. You can't see the universal church. No matter how high you fly up in a helicopter, you're still not going to see the other side of the world. You're not going to see everyone. Here we see a visible representation of what Christ's church is supposed to be. When I was in college, a lot of you don't know this about me, but uh, a story that my wife likes to share when I first met her and we were talking, I was a big dork in college and I thought I was going to be in a band and I was trying to teach myself guitar and I was growing my hair out long and she always tells everyone how in our first conversation, she's like, what do you want to do with your life? And I flicked my hair back. It was kind of in my eyes. And I said, I just want to be in a band. <laughs> big dork, right? And um, Oh, my friend and I in college, I went to Mankato, Minnesota for a year, and my friend and I, we'd go check out a lot of local folk music. We loved listening to acoustic music in coffee shops. Uh, one night, we went to this local coffee shop to hear a band we hadn't heard yet. We were excited. We sat down. We got there early, and next to us sits this, this guy, and, and to be frank, he looked like a bum. He had long hair, he smelled, and he was super obnoxious. And we were just like, we're seriously going to have to sit next to this guy to this concert? That's just going to be really hard, you know? It, but what happened is when, when it was time for the band to play, he was the guy that jumped up with the band. And he was a singer and a really good guitar player. And the cool thing there that we saw is that even though this guy alone, he just seemed like a, like a bum, like maybe he stepped off the street to get warm, when he jumped up there with his band, he represented something far greater than he could ever do alone. He showed us music. He allowed us to feel it and see it and, and really experience something far greater than he could when he was just sitting next to us. Because then we just experienced his bad smell. But when he was with his band, it was like, wow, that is something awesome. And what I want you to see this morning, church, is that the local church is very similar. On our own, we're not that great. Yeah, we have gifts, right? But really, it's, it's not as beautiful when we're on our own. But when we're together and those gifts are all functioning, that's where it's at. That's where the gospel is made visible. Together in local churches is where we show the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways we never could alone. We point to something far greater together than we ever could alone. So to define the local church, I'll use a definition by John Piper. I think it's on the screen. He writes, A local church is a group of baptized believers who meet regularly to worship God through Jesus Christ, to be exhorted from the word of God, and to celebrate the Lord's Supper under the guidance of duly appointed leaders. In the New Testament, we also see references to the local church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul talks about, he's writing to Timothy, and he's talking about why he sent Timothy, and he talks about his ministry in every church. He's re referencing little churches, local churches, where he's going around. And remember, Paul's mission was to go out and, and proclaim the gospel and to raise up churches, individual local churches. That's what he was all about. We see it also in, in most of the epistles. We see, like, for example, 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can open up all the epistles and you'll see he's writing to a specific body of believers in a specific place and he's telling them how to live. And an overwhelming amount of 
the, the, the term church used in the New Testament is talking about just that. It's telling Christians how to live in a local body of believers. Okay? It's where Christians are charged to love one another in the local church. It's where they're charged to sing one another, to, to confront sin in one another, to forgive one another, to submit to one another, to be at peace with one another, to be kind toward one another, to bear with one another in love, and to bear one another's burdens. And you have to remember that these epistles, they weren't just read where someone was reading it on their own in their living room. These were read in the gatherings of a local church. So it's like me getting a letter that's God's word, reading it before us right now, and we're all hearing how we should live in this local community. And so church membership is a relationship that exists between an individual Christian and that local church that I'm talking about. It involves an individual Christian committing to this local body, and it involves that local body committing to that person and their discipleship. The Christian church is to be made up of, surprise, Christians, okay? And so a huge part of membership is the local church affirming an individual's profession of faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We cannot declare people to be members of this local church who reject Jesus Christ as king. And so it's our job as a church to hear people's profession of faith, to affirm it. Now, we don't make anyone a Christian. The church doesn't do that. Yes, we proclaim the gospel. God uses that to make them a Christian. They're saved because they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and they belong to Christ at that moment. But it's our job as we welcome them into our fellowship, and if we're going to treat them like Christians and part of this local church, we have to affirm that they are indeed Christians, and they're going to be with us. And so this idea of affirming a profession of faith, I really like how author Jonathan Lehman talks about this. He says that in this way, the, the church is much like an embassy for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Now, don't tell him I told you this, but our pastoral resident, Matt Jantz, when he was in Albania, he, he was there for about a year, and he almost let his passport expire when he was there. And so he almost got in some trouble. Now, when he lost, when, well, he didn't lose it, but when his passport was about to expire, if it would have expired, would he have ceased to become a U.S. citizen in that moment? No. He simply would have lacked the, the papers that showed that he was a U.S. citizen, right? And so what he had to do is he had to go to the U.S. Embassy, explain the dilemma, and they were able to do some checking on him and make sure his story lined up. And they said, okay, it checks out. You are a U.S. citizen. We will reissue, you know, we'll renew your passport. You're good to go. We will vouch for you that you are a U.S. citizen. You're good to go. In a similar fashion, it is the local church that's been given the authority to examine the profession of faith of individuals who say that they're Christians. And when they do that, they recognize them as a member of that local church. Now, again, local churches don't make people Christians. But we, it's like when we bring someone into membership, it's like we're handing them a passport that says, hey, you check out. Yes, you're, you're, you're a Christian, as far as we can tell, and you're part of this fellowship. And you might be sitting there wondering, well, am I good enough for church membership? And I want to reassure you that the only criteria for church membership is that someone has to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They have to be a Christian. They have to have repented of their sin, and they're trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save them from that sin. And that's the criteria for church membership. The church is not a place that has sinless people sitting in. None of us are sinless. And so the church is actually a place where sinners 
people who know they are sinners gather to receive forgiveness in Christ, and we gather together as sinners who need Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. And what we're going to do next is we'll move into going through several scriptures that really show in the Bible where we see uh, church membership. But before we do that, what I want to do to help us think about membership rightly is I want you to remember that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is Lord over it. He is king of everything, and it it is his. And how did he obtain the church? He purchased the church in his own blood. He spilled his blood as a sacrifice so that he could purchase a people unto himself. He, cre- he created and he is creating the church as his word goes out and his spirit is opening hearts to become his people and be part of the church. He's our king and he is head over all things for his church. And so keep in mind that the church belonging to Jesus Christ, it's it's the highest authority on earth when it comes to spiritual matters. There's no other higher authority about what it means to be a Christian or follow Jesus than there is his church. And so what I want you to think about this morning is that you don't just join a church like you join a soccer club or a Costco. Okay? You come in under Jesus Christ's church. He is the authority over it. He has placed authority in his church. And so we submit to his local church. And this might sound harsh. We live in a culture that is obsessed with personal autonomy and hates the idea of authority. But all members, deacons, elders, we're all submitting to the authority in the local church, which ultimately belongs to Jesus Christ. And so we come under his authority and we submit to that church as long as they're submitting to God's word. But all too often we have this mindset that the church revolves around us. Much like the man in the article I read earlier, the church revolves around us. And we need to repent of that attitude and remember the church revolves around Jesus Christ. He is Lord of his church. So as we read these passages, it's not like I don't prefer, I don't like Pastor Jesse's preferences on church membership. I want you to wrestle with these texts and what they say and the implications of them and really think about church membership. And what does it mean for you to be a member of this church if you already are? And if you're not, why not? And so looking at some of the evidences for church membership we see in the New Testament, I want to begin by showing that the New Testament church clearly, clearly marked off who was in their church and who was not. Now, I used to be an elementary school teacher, and I taught first grade, third grade, fourth grade, and some high school in the summers for summer school. But at the end of every single year, the teachers of our grade level, usually about three teachers, we'd get together and we'd examine our classes, and we'd think about who would work well in a class next year. And so we'd build class lists and pass them on to the teacher for next year. And around that time, I would also get my class list, which is exciting, but at the same time, I always had a handful of kids that were a handful. Because the thing was that the teachers would always say, well, I think that you'd be good with them. You'd be able to help them. I'm like, well, thanks. Now I have 10 kids that need all this help, and it's going to be really a hard year. But the point in talking about this is that school, schools mark off who's in a teacher's classroom, right? There's classrooms, and it, you know who's in that class. It's a, it's a classification of who's with that class in that group, and they are a class. And in a similar way, the New Testament church marked off who was part of the local church. 
we see in Acts chapter 2 that the church marked off who was in and out. And so if you have a Bible, I think it's going to be on the screen, or if you want to turn there in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 37, and it's a long passage, but it's worth reading because it really does show us how people are saved and how they interact with a local church. So Acts 2, starting in chapter 37. A little bit of context here. The Holy Spirit has just fallen at Pentecost. The Peter is preaching a sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel, and people from all various places and tongues, they're coming to faith and they're professing Christ. And I want you to pay attention to what they do when they come to Christ. Starting in 37. Now, when they had heard this, that is the people that were there, they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And then there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need, had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I don't know if you noticed this, but this passage is filled with examples where the gospel was preached. People were marked off because they had responded to the gospel. It says that there were those who received the gospel. And when they received the gospel, what did they do? They were baptized and welcomed into the local church. That's how they became part. That's how that passport was administered. They were of the world. People were mocking Peter as he preached the gospel. And all of a sudden, boom! God's spirit moves, he saves them, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I just received this good news. How can I be a part of this? How can they tell them? They, were, they repent, they were baptized, and they were brought into a local body of believers. And so there must have been some way that they affirmed who was professing the gospel because they kept track of the number. We saw in that passage, let's see, uh, in, in verse 41, it says about 3,000 people were called out of the world and added to their gathering that day. So they kept track. They knew who received it and who didn't receive it. And those who did receive it, they kept track and they knew who was among them. And about 3,000 were added that day. Um, earlier in Acts chapter 1, it had said that originally that that gathering at the Jerusalem church was only about 120 people. And now all of a sudden, boom, 3,000 people are saved. They're added to their numbers. Talk about explosive church growth. What are you going to do for a space I don't know, but that's what happened. And it didn't stop there. They continued to, to, they continued to expand as the gospel went forward, and they continued to keep track of who received God's word and became part of them. It says in Acts chapter 
4, in verse 4, that as Peter preached before the council, the Jerusalem council, or not the Jerusalem, the, the council that was ruling at the time um, in Jerusalem over the Jews, uh, it was confirmed that another 5,000 men became part of them as the gospel was preached. And so there again, they kept track. And, and this is so beautiful because it's not that they got saved and they're like, all right, I'm going to go home now, guys, and live this on my own and go to work and have my own thing going on. It says in verse 42 that their new lives centered around the commitment to the word, to each other, and prayer. They weren't just showing up on Christmas and Easter. They weren't just coming when the coffee was hot, but they were meeting together regularly. They were committed to one another, and they were committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 46 says they met together regularly in the temple and in their homes. And so it's just crazy that this is a group of diverse backgrounds that lived in probably a totally different culture. Now they're together and they're living together for the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build one another up in that gospel. And so what we see here is that the, the early church clearly marked off who was in their fellowship. We see that in the Jerusalem church. New people were added to the local community. When they professed faith, they were baptized, and we see that they lived their lives committed to one another and treasuring Christ together in the local church. And here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's an application to this. At Woodridge, we also mark people off. We, we believe in the Bible wholeheartedly. We want to do what the Bible calls us to. We mark people off as well. The gospel is proclaimed. We want to know who is part of this local church, and we do that through membership, just like we see in Acts chapter 2. And of course, we want you to become a member. If you're not a member here, we would like you to become a member. I realize that as I say the term church membership, it puts, there's a bad taste in a lot of your mouths around church membership, right? I hope to, to, to talk about membership with two ways we, kind of, we see it scripturally that I would encourage you to think about. First uh, is that you would not hesitate to me calling my son a family member or my wife a family member. Right? There's a distinct group called the Smith family. We live under the same roof, and we live life together, and I'm called to lead this group, and we have unique relationships to one another that I don't have with anyone else. And there might be other Smiths out there that are cousins that live in various places around the world, but we're not called to the same relationship we are in the Smith family. And so my family members, that's a good distinction. We use it in an everyday sense. And people have used that distinction for thousands of years in an everyday sense without even thinking twice about it, right? And, and what I want you to think about this morning is this, that as the church, we are the family of God. We, the, the scriptures call us brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul called Timothy his true son in the faith. And so we are family because of what Jesus Christ has done to bring us together, okay? And yes, Erlene Haskell, Pastor Erlene in Albania, he's my brother in Christ, but he's my extended brother in Christ because he doesn't live here. And when I look across here, I see brothers and sisters in Christ who are members of this church. They are in my immediate church family, okay? And so church membership is just identifying who is in that immediate church family. Another way that the Bible talks about membership is by calling, it uses this analogy of calling members of a church basically like we're body parts. And we're interdependent just like body parts are to make up a body, and we together make up the body of Christ. We represent Christ in this dark world. And as we read, I read this passage before of the sermon. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but I do want to reference a couple of points in it to talk about this analogy of us being body parts that are dependent on one another to 
reflect Christ to the world and proclaim the gospel. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about, in verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Verse 18, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If you're here today, if you're a member in this church, or this is, you call this your church, and you should be a member, then God has called you here. He has placed you here. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And what this points to is that we're all uniquely gifted. God has called you here. He's gifted you uniquely so that you would use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So again, we together reflect Christ like we cannot apart. And we do that in local churches. And Paul carries out the same analogy in Romans 12, 4 through 5, where he writes, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Each local church, like I said, is, is made up of people that were placed there by God, uniquely gifted to serve, to, to come alongside the, what we're trying to do here in glorifying God by cro- proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and treasuring Christ above all. And, and I want you to see how integral you are, if you are a Christian, how integral you are to a local church by reading Ephesians 4, uh, verses 15 through 16, where Paul says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you are a member of this church, it's so, such a good reminder that we're not, and I am too, we're not just members of a church in word. Like, there you go, I got my passport, I got that done, I'm done. God has put you here and he's gifted you uniquely so that you would build up this church so it would mature and look more like Jesus Christ. And not just that we would look like Jesus Christ, but as we do, we'd be building ourselves up in love. That's one of the signs of a mature church is that we are reflecting the love of Christ to one another and to the world. And and so if you're a member of this church, this is a great reminder, serve your church. You're needed in this church. We covet your gifts and your serving in this local church. And I say this in love. If you're not a member of a local church, you should be. If, If you're one who just refuses to commit to a local church through membership, think about this. The analogy of body parts that make up a body, if you just all out refuse, you're like a foot that likes to hang around by a body. Can you picture that? There's a foot. It's not connected to the body. It's next to the body. And that body doesn't have a foot. And so that body is limping around. And all in the meanwhile, you know what happens? The hand reaches down and scratches the foot. And the eye sees when the foot's about to go in a water puddle and they help him get out. The mouth is proclaiming the word of God and they're benefiting from it. And it's great, right? And the rest of the body looks down and thinks, that's a great foot. You know, we'd love to have that foot be part of it. But if you're not committing to a local church, that, that's what it's like. And, and all the while, the body of Christ, a local church, is limping. It's limping, and it's not as effective as it could be. It's not growing into maturity as much as it could be. It's hindered. 
because it needs you to join that body and be a foot that's connected to the ankle, to the knee, to the hip, and the rest of the body, and the head who is Christ. We need everyone together working together for the gospel. And that's God's plan for the church. And that's God's plan for you. It's for you to be a church member, a foot that's connected to the body and is, is helping the mission and also benefiting from the rest of the body. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't, to join a local church. And this isn't my plug saying you have to join this church. This is the only church you could have. No, there's lots of gospel-proclaiming, Bible-believing churches that are great, and you should be a part of one of them. If it's not here, maybe there's something here that you're never going to become a member here. Well, then the best thing you could do is find another one of those churches and become a member there. We would rejoice with you in that. But if it's here, join. Join us. Join the body. Become a member. We want you here. So the, the, the scriptures clearly show that Christians were marked off as members in local churches, and it shows that they live together, joined together as one body for the gospel and to build one another up. So the second way we see church membership in the Bible is through church discipline. Church discipline, the fact that it's commanded to be practiced, the fact that it is practiced, shows that there has to be a membership. And some of you are thinking, church discipline, I don't want to, that sounds harsh. I don't want to talk about that. And I'm not going to talk about it a lot. And we will in one of the future sermons. But I will tell you that church discipline is a wonderful thing. The church has to do it. It protects the purity and the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ. It protects the name of Christ before a watching world as we carry out church discipline. And so though it's hard and it's painful and it's heartbreaking, it's also good and wonderful and glorifies God. And if you're a member here, you know we've had to practice church discipline, and it has been hard. And I just want to mention, it's not done in the spirit of punishing. It's done in the spirit of trying to restore someone to Jesus Christ through proclaiming the gospel and pleading with them to turn back to Jesus. And the reason we have to do it is because someone is involved in serious, outward, unrepentant sin. They're not treasuring Jesus, they're treasuring a sin. They're believing a lie that they can find something in in sin that they can't find in Jesus, and they're running away, chasing it, and we're saying, no, 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 turn back. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Repent and come back. Okay, and so we do so in love, and God uses church discipline and chasing them down to bring people back sometimes. But church discipline is essentially saying to a person, We affirmed your profession. You became a member here, but you've decided to follow sin instead of Jesus, and so we can no longer affirm this profession of faith. You cannot be part of this local church because you're proving not to be a Christian as far as we can tell. And so that passport of church membership is then taken away. We can't affirm you. Picture Matt Jantz in Albania. U.S. Embassy says, nope, sorry, you're stuck here, and he's stuck there forever. Okay, And hopefully not forever because hopefully someone can come in and rescue and make that happen. But that's church discipline, and it cannot happen unless there is an in and an out. Because church discipline, the act of doing it, is telling someone they're no longer in. So how do you do that if they, were no longer, if they weren't in in the first place? Okay? You're telling them they're not a member anymore. I just want to read uh, quickly uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 18. I meant to read this before, and I kind of got off of my notes, but... This is Jesus talking about church discipline with his disciples, those who would go out and be the foundation of the church. And and Jesus says to them, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the ecclesia, the church, the gathering. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what, so, so what I want you to see, first of all, church discipline is done in love. It's for the joy of the person in Christ. But it cannot be done unless there's a way to affirm that people are in and part of your church to begin with. Number three, uh, what we see in, in Scripture, in the New Testament, is that there's a responsibility of elders concerning members. And that shows membership. Okay? Again, we live in this larger culture of evangelical Christianity where the dominant school of thought across our country in evangelicalism is church membership doesn't matter. Church polity is not important. Um, who cares? And yet, with that comes so much confusion for everyone. And I can tell you that as pastors and elders, we've felt a tension because of that confusion. It's common for Christians to expect pastors and elders to be their pastors and elders without that person being committed to a local church, where they are a member committed to that local church. And, and, and that, that, that Christian is right. Like, there is a responsibility that elders have to shepherd, and that's good that they're aware of it, but it's only part of the picture. But what I want you to see is there is that, that responsibility that elders have, and it's weighty. Peter writes to the elders in 1 Peter 5.2, he writes, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We see as well in Hebrews 13, 17, where it writes to church leaders about church leaders, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So elders are responsible to shepherd Christians in churches. They have a responsibility to watch over souls, and they do so as ones that will give an account to God for how they do that. And so as a pastor elder and my fellow pastor's elders, and even if you aspire to be an elder one day, think about this. You will stand before God one day, if you're a pastor and elder, and you will give an account for those in your care that were in a church. And pastor's elders, I read this and I tremble. Because I know I have, I have a lot of areas I need to grow in this. As I look around, I can, I can think of how I need to grow just looking at some of you. And we should tremble. And, and, and as people who are in this local church, that should encourage you to pray for your pastors and elders that they would be men who humbly seek the Lord and they minister in his strength and by his grace and according to his word. But the question that we all want answered is this. Who Am I called to shepherd? Who are the people that I will stand before God one day and talk about how I shepherded them? That's the question that we want to have an answer for. Is it the Christians who attend Imago Day or Waukesha City or Matt Chandler's church down in Texas? I hope not. Just like teachers have classroom rosters that identify who they are responsible for, and if you think about a team, teams have the same thing. They have a team roster. And you can wear all the green and gold you want. And go ahead, I might even encourage it. But that doesn't make you a Green Bay Packer. It doesn't make you part of the team. Because in order to become part of the team, you have to demonstrate that you're 
one who should be there, and you have to go through a process where it's mutually agreed upon, where the coaching staff and the owners have to say, yes, okay, we're committed to this player, and the player has to say, yes, I'm committed to this team. And so there's a mutual agreement that has to take place in order for that relationship to be established. And it's the same in the church when Christians are marked, they're marked off for membership when they become a, they're marked off as those who are under the care of certain elders when they become a member of the church. That's the biblical practice we see. That's what we practice at Woodridge Community Church. That the process of membership is how you make that mutual agreement that you are committed to this local church and these elders are committed to shepherding you as people who will give an account one day before God for your faith. And don't get me wrong, yes, as Christians, we all have a gospel responsibility to all men that we know. We should be looking to proclaim the gospel every opportunity we have, and we're responsible to do that. But shepherds have a unique responsibility for how they lead, care for, teach, and lead the doctrine of this particular body of believers. The fact that shepherds are responsible and will give an account for particular sheep shows that there's such a thing as church membership. And if you're a Christian, and this is the church you're going to be a part of, let's mutually agree on that. Let's mutually agree that the elders are your pastor shepherds and you're their member. And number four, this is on the flip side of that shepherding relationship. So there are are elders that are responsible to lead, but the flip side is that there are also members who have a responsibility to those elders and to that church. And, I, and what I want to do is read uh, Hebrews 13.7 and then Hebrews 13.17, which, which they show this in Scripture. The author of Hebrews writes, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And so we see this calling on the flip side that not only are elders called to shepherd and and be responsible for sheep, but Christians are called to be a part of a local flock where there are elders and to respond to those particular elders. Christians are called to imitate the faith of these leaders who are to lead with the teaching and living out of God's word. And I know today there's plenty of podcasts out there with awesome sermons, and I listen to them, and you should too, as long as they're good sermons. But your favorite podcast preacher is not going to answer God for your faith. He's not going to show up when you're in the hospital and things have gone bad, and you need someone to point you to Jesus and to pray with you because you don't know which way is up and which way is down. When someone you love is running from Christ and it's breaking your heart, It's the elders of a local church, not a podcast preacher, that are going to help chase them down and pray with you and proclaim the gospel alongside of you. So it's so important that you see that that, that you, you should be part of a local church where you're a member and you're coming under the leadership of particular elders. And I can tell you that as I have walked with the men who shepherd this church, I have been well shepherded. And, I, and, I, and I've seen that there is an example among these men that is worthy of imitating. They have been my elders over this five and a half years that I've been here. And I would just ask, are they your elders? Are they your elders? And again, in Hebrews 13, 17, we see this word submit again. And I know some of you have neck hair standing up on the back of your neck. And it's like, oh, I hate that word. I dislike it. I get it. But it, 
So many people have a cultural view of authority and submission. And really the Bible would call a pagan view of authority and submission, where there's leaders who lord their, their authority over people and they just want to get more power and push people down below them. And that's not the biblical view of authority and submission. And so as, as members, yes, there is a calling to submit to leaders. But if we think about what Jesus said to his disciples, what kind of leaders is Jesus looking for to lead his church? He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. And so elders of churches are to be men of character and men who love the church, not who are going to press people down and benefit from that. It's people who are going to lay down their lives for the good of others. Ones who will lovingly shepherd people through the hardest things you're walking through in life. Right? It's people who are going to care for you. People that care enough to stand before you and say things that are really hard and uncomfortable because God says them. They're going to lovingly care for you that way. And so it's so important that, th that you respond to the leadership of those who are elders in a local church because they're the ones that have authority over you to care, to teach, to shepherd, to love, to, to point you to Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews goes on in verse 17 basically to say, don't make it a pain for your elders. You should make it a joy for them to shepherd you as much as you can. And I can just tell you, real quick application, if, if you're a member of this church, one way that you can help elders do that is by opening up your lives and allowing elders in to know what's going on. If you're not a member of this church, then an obvious application is, where are your elders? Who are your elders? We haven't talked about who they are. We haven't agreed upon that. And so I would encourage you to become a member of a local church. And I, again, it doesn't have to be this one. This isn't the greatest and the best church. We don't think that. We're just one, and we seek to do, be a church that faithfully proclaims the gospel and God's word, and we'd love to have you a member here. We'd love to have you commit to this local church. We'd love to have, be your elders, and to shepherd you through life's ups and downs. But you gotta, you gotta commit to a local church and establish that relationship. And so we see in Scripture that it very clearly shows that there are elders who are responsible for particular sheep and sheep that are responsible to respond to certain leaders in a certain church. That happens in the local church through church membership. And so I, I want to sort of wrap it up with this. Christian, are you an active member in a local church? Maybe you're here and you are a member, but it's only in word. How can you look to build up the body in love, cause us to mature, so it's more than just in word, that you don't just have a passport, but you're an active citizen in God's kingdom through the life of the local church? And if you're not a member, what's holding you back? We talked about some of the misconceptions of the church. I hope that maybe cleared some things up for you and helped. But what else is holding you back? Now, I know I've talked to some of you. Some of you have a family member you've been caring for and you cannot get away. You just don't have time right now we should talk and figure out how we can make that happen. I know some of you work uh, whenever we would have a class that goes through the process. There's, there's different things, but if it's not that, what else is holding you back? And I would like to, to spend some time, maybe examine your heart if it's any of these things. Is there a desire for independence? Maybe you have a view where it's me and Jesus and that's it. I'm it's good enough. These people are just going to bring me down. It's me and Jesus and we're good. I don't need anyone else. Is there a prideful independence? Is it the imperfections of the church? And there are imperfections in the church. Just like our own bodies might have a crooked nose, big hands, or a flabby belly, we have imperfections too. And yet, it's Christ's church. And, and he purchased her, and the church is precious to him. 
and it should be precious to you as well. And, and though there may be some of those blemishes, it's an opportunity for you to come in and make them stronger so there's less blemishes as we're sanctified together. Maybe you have a fear of being hurt because you were a part of a church maybe a long time ago and they were very uh, authoritative and told you exactly how much money you had to give or something like that. That's not an excuse not to obey Jesus Christ. Yeah, someone hurt you and that was bad. We can maybe even talk through that and do some counseling, talk about it. But that doesn't give you an excuse to not obey Jesus Christ and be part of a local church now. And so you need to work through those things so that you can become part of a local church and obey Jesus. Another thing that happens is, is there secret sin? Is there secret sin where if you become part of a body, it's going to be exposed and you don't want that? Well, guess what? If you're a Christian and you have sin, the best thing that could happen is that you could enter a body of believers that are going to help expose that sin and they're going to help you kill it. They're going to walk with you side by side and help you kill that sin so you can reflect Jesus Christ better and you can be free from that sin. That's a win-win for you becoming a member if you're, if you're hiding for that reason. Another reason I talk to people, maybe you see yourself, I'm only here for a couple of years, so it's not worth being a member. So I, w- I would say become a member, even if it's only a couple years. Because one, I talk to so many people who that's their view, and they're, they're here for 10 years. Like, yeah, our hope is still, we're going to go, I'm going to get a job in California. Well, you're still here. It's been 10 years. And, and in the meanwhile, our body is without a foot and we're limping. And you could have been here as that foot fully committed, helping us be stronger and good. And the other thing I often see with, in that kind of a case is that people fall in love with the local church. And I've seen that in this church. People who, maybe their goal was to go somewhere else and get a job, but they've fallen in love with the church and they say, I don't want to go anywhere else because I want to be here with this local church. And that's a wonderful thing. And there are people here, that's their story. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Maybe that'll be your story. But all these reasons that I'm giving that you may have for not joining a local church, I want you to consider this. They're all considering one thing. They're all considering yourself. They're not considering others as more important than yourself. They're considering you and what it might, the the impact it might have on you and your life. What about the body that's limping? Are you considering others as more important than yourself? I would encourage you to do so. And I would encourage you to join a local church. If it's not this one, another one, but join a local church. Because if you're a Christian, you're called to be a church member. So church, Jesus didn't spill his blood to purchase consumers who would shop for spiritual goods and services like a Christ-like Costco. Nor is he designated the special role of member uh, elite super Christians who serve in a certain capacity. Rather, everyone who Christ has called out of a life of sin into his marvelous life light has been called to be a church member. It is here that we treasure Christ with our immediate family, protect one another's souls, and come under servant leadership. So I would encourage you, if you're not a member of a church, why not? And I would encourage you to join a local church. For God's glory, for your joy, join a local church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that your word is clear and it is our final authority on all matters so that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to be lost in this life. We can look to your word and it is clear what we should do in all the big things. We know how to follow Jesus Christ because your word is clear. I pray that for the, as we wrestle with what it looks like to be a church member, if we are a church member, that we would rejoice in being a foot or an eye or whatever it is who is participating in building this body up to maturity and building it up in love with great joy. And if, if there are those who are not members, I pray that they would wrestle with the texts that we've looked at 
and, and that they would apply it by becoming members of a local church and that they would see that it's further joy in Christ. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.